So if you're not coming to church and not fellowshipping and you're wondering why you're struggling and you feel far away from God, well, here's your answer. It's why it's important to fellowship. It's important to come to church, but it's important that you have that personal relationship with God. It's an up and down thing, I find, because life gets busy. And then before you know it, you know, you feel far away from God, but that's not actually the truth. But, you yeah, know, I learned an important lesson last night is to never give my cell phone to my wife when I want her to read a message. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Pastor Lisa sent a message to me last night on Messenger, and it was quite a serious, you know, please pray for this. And I thought, oh, I better show Amy because it's quite important. <laughs> I handed it to Amy, and uh, before you know it, she accidentally put the laugh emoji on it. And it's <laughs> like, it's not funny. <laughs> So I was quite embarrassed because I thought, oh no, all the leadership think I'm laughing at it. <laughs> so yeah, just yeah, don't hand your phone to your wife, eh? <laughs> I'm not doing that again. I think I'll read the message out. It's not funny. <laughs> anyway. All right. Okay, back to business. All right. Yeah, we got it sorted. She had to, we had to ring pastor to explain because I didn't know how to remove it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Overcoming the spirit of fear, and there's something personal for me because I've I've had to deal with fear for quite a big portion of my life. So I can relate to this, and I reckon a lot of us can relate to it. Anyway, at some point of our life, we've all experienced some sort of fear. But I'm not talking about natural fear. You know, the fear that uh, if you're high up somewhere on the edge of a building and your body's telling you to get away from the edge. That's natural fear. That's your you know, your defense mechanism, your body's saying, hey, get away from there. That's different. That's com- you know that's different, hey? I'm talking about the fear that rules over you, oppresses you, makes you do things you don't want to do. And you know, you look throughout history, rulers around the world have always used that, hey? If you're going to be honest, even, even the current governments now, uh, whether you think about it or not, do use it. You do this and you don't do this, this is your punishment. It's fear. It doesn't actually work, does it? We see society, the jails get fuller and fuller. Um, and then if you get sent to jail, all that does is breed fear and hate and you come out worse. So we, you know, society really needs to rethink. We need to be operating out of love, not fear. It's a big mistake, you see. We've made a big mistake on that. And, uh, you know, they also, you know, you hear the term, oh, but it's for the greater good. How often do we hear that? So they sacrifice a lot just to get that, it's for the greater good. Well, it's not for the greater good. It's an excuse. You know, no one should be subjected to fear because no good comes from it. I know from personal experience. I'm sure we all experience it in some way. But ultimately, we need to understand that fear is a spirit. It's dealt with spiritually, you know. You know, fear is quite a powerful emotion, but it starts off spiritually. It manifests in an emotion and it controls you. You know, the spirit of fear is a manifestation of darkness. There's no goodness in it at all. It can't be used for good. Even the world tries to do it. That's how wars start, eh? War's no good. Because, the, you know, the, when something bad happens to a country, they react out of fear and then more people get hurt because it's out of hate, and everyone accepts that. I don't think we should ever have war, to be honest, personally, but it's there. Unfortunately, yeah, it does happen. It's all, there's always been wars, and it's a horrible thing, but it, ultimately it's, it's out of fear. If everything was out of love, there'd be no war. A lot of problems would be solved. We probably wouldn't be arguing and fighting with one another. And I think that's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's the kingdom of God's love. There is no war in heaven. There is no infighting. There is no backstabbing. There is no you and me, I'm right, my opinion. No, it's all about his love for you. That's where we need, that's, what, that's our job as a Christian, is to bring that atmosphere into a world full of fear and hate. Because at the moment, that's all the world sees. They don't know any better. We're the shining lights. You know that, that parable about the ten virgins with the lamp? You know, and how five of them had their light shining and the other five hid it? That's us as the church. A lot of us hide our light, eh? Hey, because we're too scared to stand up for 
what we believe in. Because that's the way the world's gone. You're not allowed to say certain things. You're not allowed to pray. You know, the, uh, a woman got arrested in, in Britain for praying inside her head because she was standing outside an abortion clinic. But it's okay to praise Allah in front of everybody and say horrible things. What, what's going on? Why is it always Christians that get targeted? Why is always the Christians told to shut up? Exactly. No other religion's affected. They can do whatever they want. But, oh no, don't say you can't say that. That's why they took the name of Jesus out of Parliament. That should, hopefully would come back. So we know that the spirit of fear is demonic fear. So you can be assured it definitely does not come from God. So don't get that mixed up with the fear of the Lord. That's completely different, and we've preached on that. You know, the, the fear of the Lord's kind of hard to, dis- to define it because it's almost like a whole message, but you've got to kind of get an understanding. It's, it's like it's a, it's a wholesome dread of displeasing God. It's reverence because he's mighty. Sometimes it's okay to tremble before God's presence because... It's reverence. He's a mighty God, but there's no fear in him. He's not putting fear on us. It's a reverential thing. It's, it's different. Wholesome dread of displeasing God is how I would describe it. But, you know, there's many ways. It's, it's, you've just got to get it's different. It's not, this, it's not fear. It's a respect. And you can see when, when there is no fear of the Lord, things get out of hand because you don't really care what God thinks. You know, as Christians, we should know in our hearts who God is to us. We should know in our heart that God doesn't use fear, but uses love. He displays his love, his fatherly love toward us. It's abounding toward us all the time. He gives us grace and mercy. He shows us mercy 24-7. His grace is continually abounding. When things aren't going right in our life, Grace abounds more. It just keeps abounding until we realize it, until it changes us. That's our God. doesn't give up on us. doesn't matter what you've done. We're not perfect. We mess up all the time. The, the, what it comes down to is a decision to pick yourself up and turn back to God. And that's where the world is at the moment. That is where the world is at the moment. We're at that point now of nations either turning back to God or turning their backs on God. That's what's happening right now. I don't know if you noticed in America, out of nowhere, they've just elected a new Speaker of the House and he is a full-on, 100% fire-breathing Christian. He said to everyone, he said, if you want to know my views of the world, read the Bible. This is the Speaker of the House third in line to the president. And I mean, you know, I don't know if you know about the politics, they've been arguing about getting a speaker, all right? And we know that there's a lot of corruption, a lot of demonic things. So how he got 217 votes, and now the left are going crazy because he's a Christian. And when you listen to his speech, he brought God back into that house. He said, in God we trust. He reminded everyone of where they were, where they come from where they believe in. They're bringing everything back to God. So it's happening. It's happening. We've got to understand that God placed his righteousness on us. You know, I've said before, we've talked about the full armor of God. It's not like a physical armor. It's a revelation. That's your armor. So when he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness... That protects you from condemnation. That protects you from knowing who you are in Christ. Because it's his righteousness that rests on us. So all those darts just bounce off. But it only works if you believe in it. So, you know, God wants peace. He gives us peace instead of fear. Because God knows what fear does. So he gives us peace. It gets, because what fear does is it gets you out of faith. You know, God actually desires peace for us, and which replaces the fear through faith in Him. It's interesting because in John 14, verse 27, Jesus is talking to His disciples, 
And this is around the time before he's about to get arrested and go through all that torture and pain and horrendous stuff before he goes on the cross. And he knows he's got to go through all of this. I mean, even remember when he was praying in the garden, it said that his body was sweating blood. So his body was reacting to the fear, but Jesus was peaceful inside. But after all of that, he was more concerned about the well-being of us, of his disciples. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He knew what was going to happen. He knew Peter was going to deny him three times. He knew the disciples were going to run away. He knew they were all going to run in fear. But he still gave them that word. He was still concerned for the state of their heart. The peace Jesus is speaking of enables us to remain calm in the most fearful circumstances. It enables you to rejoice in trials and tribulations, to praise in the middle of suffering. This peace is never dictated by our circumstances. Never. But instead it overrules them. You know, it reminds me of the scripture where it says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Walk through. It doesn't say it makes it go away. It gives us peace to walk through it. Horrible things happen to us, eh? God doesn't control everything. He's not a controlling God. He's a faith God. He's a, he, he wants us to be co-laborers. And he says, if you believe in me, I'll give you peace through what you're going through and I'll help you get you through it. He wants us to go through these things. It makes us stronger. It's like when Jesus was asleep on the boat and there was a massive storm. He wasn't even, didn't even care. He didn't even rebuke it. He only rebuked it because the disciples freaked out. They asked him to. He was like, you of little faith. How many times did he say that? Your circumstance or trial you're going through might still be there, but it's the peace that gives you the strength to overcome it and go through it. Now, like I said, when Jesus began to speak to his disciples about the subject of peace, he was facing, they were facing many fears, and they were going to get more after that. And so at the end of it, do you know that Jesus is actually concerned about your peace? To this day, Jesus wants you to have peace in your heart, in your life. That's what he desires for us. He's actually concerned. It's a concern. You won't find peace anywhere else. It doesn't exist in the world because we know the Bible says the world is under the, the evil one. It's under the sway of the evil one. We're not of this world. So you won't find peace out there. It's not in money. It's not in happiness because it's fleeting. It's not in your emotions. It's not in your luxury items or houses or holidays or anything. Those things are nice, but it doesn't give you lasting peace. It's all temporary. It's fleeting. You know, we're born into this world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing. So it's ridiculous how we fight over land and possessions when you think about it. Because you can't take it with you, but you've hurt so many people because you didn't want to give up something. At the end of the day, is it really worth someone's life? It's not. But that's the world we're in because we're not. The kingdom of heaven doesn't rule over this world yet. It's coming. We're in those days. We're seeing revelations play out right before our eyes. Right before our eyes. It's happening. The whole Israel thing is playing out as part of it. And yes, the Bible says we should support and pray for Israel because I'm telling you now, it's going to heat up. We need to keep praying for them and we need to pray for peace on both sides. We need to pray for it. There are innocent people getting hurt and we, all we can do is offer our prayers. But I was thinking about it the other night. I was thinking, how can we really help Israel in our prayers? What should we specifically be praying for, eh? And we know that in the, in the last days that it's when Jerusalem finally accepts Jesus. So we should be praying that Jesus is revealed in the Jews' heart. That's our prayer. That's how we can help them. They need to come to the realization that Jesus is the true Messiah. Some of them are, and Jesus is working there. 
But Jesus is also revealing himself to Muslims. There's that guy, the, 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 the son of the Hamas leader. He's a Christian. Have you heard his story? It's amazing. Jesus revealed himself to him and his whole family at the same time. They all woke up and they all had the same vision. Okay, and I've heard stories that the fastest growing religion in Iran is Christianity. It's not talked about, but Jesus is revealing himself. He's waking people up. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, who you believe in. If God wants to wake you up, he'll wake you up. You, st you still have a choice, though. Like I said, you only need to look at what's going on in the world. There are many examples of how fear is controlling people. Right now, there's a narrative of World War III. There's a big narrative now coming out. We've had COVID. They can't control us with that anymore because we know it was a load of rubbish. All right? But it, it's done damage to people. You still see people wear masks outside. And I don't judge them. I feel sorry for them because there's something mentally gone wrong there. They're still fearful of something they don't need to be fearful of. It's, it's sad. But that's the damage that's been done through fear. It's really sad. All we can do is pray for those people. Not to get into arguments or trying to convince them, because you won't. You've got to love them. Can't get into arguments and opinions. Won't work. Doesn't work. Hey, it just doesn't work. People just get heated. So you can get so full of fear that the thing about fear is when you get so full of fear, you let terrible things happen. You stand by and watch someone get beaten up or someone get bullied or you know, and you let it happen. And nowadays people just film it. I, I really detest that. You know, horrible things where someone's standing there with a camera, a, a girl getting bullied by a guy. And this guy is standing there filming it. And I'm like, why aren't you stepping in and helping out? Too scared. Too scared. Or too scared to stand up and say something. You know, it reminds me of Noah, eh? Oh, not Noah. Um, sorry, not Noah. I can't believe I forgot the name. You know, the guy that went in the whale. Jonah, Jonah sorry, yeah. It reminds me of Jonah. God gave him something to say, but he ran away. He was too scared. How many times has God given us something to say, but we've run away from that situation because we were too scared to say it? The same thing happened to Jonah. And sometimes, if things aren't going right for you, just like Jonah did, God was trying to wake him up. So he threw him inside a whale. And Jonah came to a realization, I probably should say something. So sometimes God shakes things up because he wants you to say something. He needs you. You're the only person, maybe. You're the only person that can say that to that person. But we're too fearful of rejection. Too fearful what people think of us. Too fearful because of what the government will think. That's what fear does. It's a suffocating emotion. You're unable to move forward. You can't think clearly. It leads to depression, self-hate, condemnation, sense of unworthiness, Anxiety, negative thoughts. I mean, I know that so many people I encounter, the main thing they have is anxiety. They don't even know why. Uh, especially young people I've discovered. They're waking up in the mornings, and I've experienced it myself. They're waking up with knots in their stomach, anxiety, and they don't know why. It's horrible. It leads to all sorts of problems. It's the root cause of a lot of things. You could say living in fear is like living in a prison of your own personal hell. And you feel like there's no way out. Which I believe leads to people committing suicide. Doing things or saying things they would never normally say, out of character. That's what fear does to people. There are many types of fear as well. A lot of them are not rational. But the devil isn't rational. For example, there's like over 100 types of phobias, and I'll just read some of them out. Some people have fear of shadows, fear of walking, fear of washing and bathing, fear of crossing bridges, fear of water, fear of heights, and the list goes on. These are genuine fears. They totally shut down and panic. But if you dig deep enough, I think you'll find the root cause of it is, is the fear of death. 
but we know Jesus conquered that. We might have physical death, but we no longer have spiritual death. We know exactly where we're going. So we no longer need to fear death. That's why a Christian funeral is more of a celebration than a depression session. Yes, it's sad. We're the ones that miss the person, but we can celebrate because we know in our heart they're with our Lord Jesus Christ and they're waiting for us. So it's not the end. They've just gone to another chapter and we will catch up to it. That's the good thing about believing in God, eh? And what Jesus has done. Our loved ones might have gone, but that's not the last time we're going to see them. Not only that, they're actually watching over us, cheering us on, saying, continue the race, encouraging us. You know, I've told this story before, and you know, I, got, I, I was gutted when Pastor Don died, especially when we've got kids. He never got to meet our kids, Evie, especially Evie and Rain. It guts me, really, because he was such an awesome man, and the kids would love him. And it was interesting, you know, that was something that really concerned me. But God is so awesome. He even knew my concern, even though I didn't say anything. He knew it was in my heart. And one day, Evie Willow, when she was like three years old, we were driving back down from Auckland, she just blurted out and she goes, oh, Dad, I had this cool dream. Oh, you remember this, Amy, eh? I said, oh, what's that? She goes, I met Granddad. And I go, what do you mean you met Granddad? She hasn't seen him. She described what Pastor Don looked like. His black hair and his, his hands, and she said Jesus was standing there with Pastor Don, and he got, she got to meet him. That came from a three-year-old. I didn't tell her to say that. It's amazing, isn't it? God is awesome. Just because we physically can't see it, it's spiritual stuff's way bigger. It's, it's more of a reality than we think. This is a mere vapor here, eh? God is awesome. So I believe, and like I said before, we can all relate in some way when it comes to fear. I'm more sure we've all experienced something like this. But there are also, like I've mentioned before, people who live in constant fear, always anxious, always worrying, not sure what the future holds, just no peace at all. It's very unsettling. And for those people who go through this, I feel for them because I know what it's like. I've been there myself. I've lived in fear for a long time. I also know for a fact that God will also deliver you from it. That's the testimony I can share. I grew up with it. I don't remember my childhood when I was very young like you don't normally do, but from what I've been told, I was quite a happy kid and I was apparently quite fearless as a little kid. But there was something happened when I was quite young that all of a sudden fear entered. And it just carried on. And I was scared of everything all of a sudden. Scared of people, scared of talking in front of people. I was even scared of my future. I would think about things in the future like, oh man, how will I ever get a wife? I was even fearful of that. I was fearful of getting married. I was fearful of everything. Kept it to myself. And so I had a hard time dealing with people and all that. But anyway, I'll get back to that later. But with God, you can overcome fear because God's word says that we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Romans 8, 37, verse 39. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. No matter what our circumstances are, none of the sufferings of this present time can separate us from the love of God. That makes us more than conquerors. It doesn't matter what I'm doing, how I feel, whether I've turned my back on God or not, His love has not been separated. I could walk away from God right now and it's not going to change that statement. Because he said it. He does not lie. Nothing. He said nothing will separate it. Nothing means nothing. There's no exception to it. 
That's how awesome God is. That's how much of his love he's pouring out. He's not beating us over the head and saying, bad boy, Bubba, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's saying, no, have you forgotten I still love you? I see you differently than the way you see yourself. We can overcome anything because we know God has promised right here in his word he will never forsake us. The most powerful being in the entire universe, the creator of all things, stated nothing will separate us from him. You know, for some this might be hard to believe, especially when you're the one going through something horrible. It's hard. And when that spirit of fear is tormenting you and controlling you, it does make you feel separated. You feel horrible, depressed, like there's no hope to the end of this nightmare. It feels like a trap. It feels like a hole you can't get out of. And it doesn't matter what anyone says to you, it just the words bounce off. You can sit and listen to as many messages as you want, it just bounces off. But it hasn't changed your position. God still loves you. He wants the best for you. All he's doing is waiting for you to turn around and look back at him. At the end of the day, we all have a decision. We can always choose to change our position. Always. No matter how hard it is. And that's the point. You've got to fight. It's, it's not easy. Of course, if it was easy, then we'd all be Christians. Everyone would be, if it was that easy. you just got to remember, when you're in that, you've got to re- tell yourself it's all lies. These are lies. You might feel separated, but it's a lie. That's no, you go, that's a lie. God actually said in his word, it's not based on how I feel. It's based on what he said. The good news is the word of God breaks the spirit of fear. Because we know by faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. So when faith comes, fear goes. There is faith, power, love, and mental soundness in the word of God. Hence why it's important to remain in the word of God, in constant fellowship with God and his people, like I said at the beginning. It's when you stop reading your Bible and stop fellowshipping and start getting into the secular things of the world, and before you know it, you've forgotten and you start to rely on your emotions again. The majority of people and Christians do things by emotions. You'll wake up one morning, I don't feel like going to church. I don't go. I don't feel like going to work today. I don't really feel like working too hard today. You know, I feel sad, so I feel sorry for myself. You know? We are full of emotions, and emotions are there to be enjoyed for, and God has emotions, but that doesn't dictate our faith. It's faith that dictates it. When you go away from God and you don't feed, and we've talked about this before, you either feed your spirit or you feed your flesh, and your flesh is based on emotions, eh? So if all you're doing is watching TV, not really reading your word, and then you wonder why... And you're condemning yourself, like, oh, I'm not a very good Christian, I can't do this, and nothing's working for me, and when I pray, no one gets healed. Well, maybe you need to look at, well, what are you putting in? Are you feeding your spirit? You need to feed your spirit, eh? You know, I get annoyed with Christians who float around churches. I get really annoyed because they're really critical too, because they'll just go around churches and go, mm, I don't like that one, I'll go to that one. They'll, they'll never change, they'll never grow. You've got to find a church, you've got to stick to it, and you've got to get involved. You have to get involved. We all have to get involved. It's the only way you grow. It's the truth. You might not like to hear it, but too bad. Seriously, we've, we've got to change. Come on, we can't go with the status quo anymore. Things have got to change. I wholly believe in my heart there's a new church coming, and it's, only, and it's going to come through us. We're the ones that have got to change. So, you know, we're living in some weird times and it's actually now time to turn back to God. There is coming that precipice moment where it's like, this is it. You either turn back to God now or, yeah. We don't know when this tribulation is going to, you know, when it all happens, but we can see that it's playing out. It's not time to mess about anymore, eh? If you're feeling condemned about that, that's on you. Because God doesn't condemn. 
Sometimes we need to hear these hard things because we need a wake-up call. I'm talking to myself too, eh? I'm not saying I'm perfect. I know these things because I experience it myself. We all have our ups and downs. But we've got to, what I've discovered, and that was God's telling me right now, is fellowship. We need to stick together. We need to help each other out. When, someone, when you see someone say like, you know, we don't judge people for sin, but when we see a fellow Christian that's struggling with something, you don't go around telling everyone about it and judge them. You go up to that person and go, hey, I noticed you're struggling with something. Do you need some help? I want to pray for you. We've got to go out of our way to help each other. What about the people that are left for this church? Has anyone picked up a phone and rung them and find out why they left? What's going on? Hey, how can I help you, encourage you? Hey, you should come back to church. This is happening. We're responsible for that. We should be doing it. There's too many people here that are not here that should be here. We need to call them back in the house. We can't make people do anything. All we can do is encourage them. It's their decision. If they don't want to come back, that's fine. But as long as we've done our bit, we've got to stick together. Is it, you know, knit, knit, the Bible talks about knitting together. We need to really focus on that and we need to change. We need to change. This wasn't part of my message, but this is what the Holy Spirit is telling me. This is for me too. We need more church activity, not just a Sunday. We need to do things together together in the community, whatever that may be. We're capable of doing it. We're capable of so much more. So when faith comes, fear goes, and you get rid of it by like replacing with faith. So this is when you've got to dig deep. Remember, faith is not about how you feel. Faith doesn't rely on emotions. Faith is constant. It's unmovable force. It doesn't give in to circumstances. In James 1 verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall, when you fall into various trials. So that's what we do when we're facing something. We count it as joy. Your body's telling you the other way. We've got to ignore that. Count it all joy. I'll give you an example. When Paul was locked up in prison for preaching Jesus, he was told not to use that name. But he did anyway. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid. They locked him up in a dark, dingy prison. Can you imagine what those prisons were like back then? Not very sanitary. It was disgusting. Where do you think they went toilet? <laughs> I'd hate to imagine. But it stunk in there. But what did Paul do? The Bible says he was praying and singing hymns to God all night. And then what happened? The Bible says suddenly an earthquake shook the prison, the shackles fell off, the walls came down, and he was free to go. Paul went through so many trials, but he overcame every single one of them. It never, not once do you read where it deterred Paul's faith. Amazing transformation for a guy who was probably the worst sinner out of all of us. But Jesus turned that man around. And Jesus can turn us all around, all the time. You know, did you know that actually God created us with the ability to have faith? Every single human being on this planet, we have the ability to have faith. It's in our DNA. If you think about it logically, it makes sense because the Bible says we were created in his image. God's a faith God. He's imprinted that ability in us. We just don't use it. We don't unlock it. You know, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is a faith God. And Paul tells us in Hebrews that it's actually impossible to please him without faith. And the reason that it is impossible to please him is because he's a faith God. So that's all you need to be concerned about is your believing. Like I said, Jesus would always say, only believe. Everything depends on your faith. You're responsible for your faith. All you, you know, that's it. 
God works by faith. Just as God works by faith, the devil works by fear. So that's kind of the equivalent of our faith. That's the devil's faith. That's how he has power. We give power in our lives to God when we believe in him. You know, it's not a coincidence that 365 times in the Bible we are told to fear not. Not one day is missed in a year where God is saying to us, every day he's got a word for us, every day, do not be afraid, fear not. That's a, that's a word direct from God for every single person on this planet because he's given up every, he's made sure, it's funny, eh? out of anything in the Bible, he's made sure that I am saying to you, every day when you wake up in the morning, fear not. That's how much of a big deal. God knows what, how powerful fear can be to someone. He doesn't want us fearing because it's not in our DNA to be fearful. Let's look at it this way. You know, the Bible says we are spirit beings. And the Bible, and it talks about it, it talks about the hidden man of the heart in 1 Peter 3 verse 4, if you want to read that. So man is a spirit. And when I mean man, I'm not talking about a male, I'm talking about mankind. It's an overall term. Man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. Bible faith is of a man's recreated spirit, not of his mind or his flesh. It's a spiritual force. The Bible calls it the spirit of faith. So we have the spirit of fear and the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith, according to as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. So what is the spirit of faith? It's believing with the heart, all the spirit, and speaking with the mouth. Romans 10, 9 to 10, if you want to look it up. Biblical faith is not mental assent or intellectual agreement. It's not something you've decided, you know, it's not your mind, it's not your intellect power. It's got nothing to do with it up here. It's all to do with here. God doesn't live in your brain. He lives in your heart. He's given us brains to use, but that's not where the power comes from. That's not where faith comes from. It comes from your spirit, because it's a spirit of faith. If we truly believe, then our speaking has to line up with our believing. That's something I've most Christians struggle with. How many times have we gone up for prayer for something and then three seconds later we've just spoken against it? I, I, I remember praying for something and then even Evie put it, even my kids have put me on it. Dad, but you just said, you had prayer for that, now you just said that. Children are a lot more in touch with God than you think. That's why they're targeted. That's why the demonic forces hate children. Because they're special to God. They're still in that, you know. We need to protect our children more than you know. We really should be making a huge fight. You know, Paul is quoting David in Psalms 116 verse 10. I believe, therefore I have spoken. There can be no doubt that David was a, had the spirit of faith. The man killed a giant with a slingshot. He killed a lion and a bear. He took on and killed 10,000 Philistines by himself. The man had faith. However, we see that even David had to overcome the spirit of fear. No one's exempt from this awful, foul spirit that robs us of our faith. David wrote in Psalms 34 verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. He was always in contact with God. When something like came along, David turned to God all the time. That's how he overcame it. Yes, David was a mighty man of valor and he was awesome and everything, but he wasn't you know, immune to it. He still had to face fears, but he overcame them. David wrote in Psalm 27, verse 1 to 5, and this is, you know, this is how David's thinking is. This is the way he thinks. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up my flesh, 
They stumble and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle she shall he hide me, he shall set me upon a rock. That's David's attitude. Totally sold out. He wouldn't be saying that if he didn't have to encounter the spirit of fear. David, like I said, had the spirit of faith and he still had to overcome the enemy of fear. He refused to allow fear to become a part of his life. He refused. You know, we do get knocked down. It's just whether you get back up. doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down. What counts is how many times you get back up and you keep getting back up. There's nothing worse than when someone doesn't quit, eh? Tenacity. You know, David realized that fear not only opens the door to the devil, it'll also paralyze you from moving forward with God's plan in your life. It'll freeze you in your tracks. You don't move forward. You don't operate in your calling. You go nowhere. See, David's speaking lined up with his believing. He was confident in the Lord's ability to see him through and close the door to fear. See him through. Romans 10.17, I've already mentioned this before. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Throughout the gospel, people were healed and delivered by Jesus and his disciples. They came to Jesus because they heard about him. They heard the stories. How many of us are telling the world about Jesus right now? How much is the church really saying to the world, this is what Jesus is doing right now? He's healing people. He's saving people. He's setting people free. This is what was happening back then. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have churches that hadn't been set up yet, but they were hearing about this guy called Jesus who was healing and delivering people. So before they even came to him, they already had faith. Because if you notice, when, someone, when Jesus healed someone, he always said it was your faith healed you. You know, John 1 uh, verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and behold his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was the word manifested in flesh. So if you want to build your faith up, listen to and study the word. Come to church regularly. Mingle and get to know people in the church. You want to build other people's faith up? Tell them about Jesus. I'm not talking about throwing scripture at someone. They're not going to understand it. Tell them something that Jesus has done for you. Or if you've got nothing to say about it, be there and love them and help them. Just do something. We've just got to do something. And don't forget about your testimony. Your testimony is one of the most powerful tools you can use because it's personal and it's something God has done for you. And when you share it out of your heart, it rubs off onto someone. They get it. They know you're genuine. It's not something you make up. And don't be afraid to share it. Do not be afraid. So I want to talk about the woman with issue of blood and, and Jairus, the, the synagogue ruler. It's an interesting story. I've shared both stories before, and we know about the woman with the issue of blood. It's interesting because Jesus was actually on the way to the ruler's house because he had asked him to come heal his daughter, who was quite sick. And so the woman of issue blood actually interrupted that journey. And, I was thinking, and it's quite interesting, why is that mentioned in the Bible? Why is these two stories, why did they collide? It only dawned on me this, like late last night and this morning, I was thinking about it. So if you think about it, this woman tried, she had an issue of blood for 12 years, she tried everything, went to every doctor, every medium, she tried herbs, whatever. She tried everything, couldn't get healed. She was desperate. 
And in the, in the time under Jewish law, she was actually declared unclean. So she couldn't even be in the crowds when Jesus turned up. But something must have came over her. She must have heard about Jesus, gave her so much faith and tenacity that she ignored the religious rules at the time. And she pushed her way through that crowd because apparently in those days she wasn't even allowed to be touched. She pushed away and all she believed in is only I can touch the hem, a piece of clothing on Jesus, I will be healed. And we know that when that happened, what had happened? Jesus turned around because he felt power leave. Now Jesus didn't even know she was there. How did she get healed? She drew on that power through her believing. It was her believing. That's the power of faith. That's the power God has given us. God has faith in us all the time. But we activate it by believing him. And so it's interesting because at that moment he turns around and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. That's what he said. And it's interesting because at that very moment, what had happened? Some servants from the rulers came over straight after that and said, oh, the daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Isn't that interesting? And so Jairus was sitting there going, I've just seen this woman get healed, but then I've just received a bad report. And so Jesus overheard this, and what did Jesus do? Gave him a word in the midst of it all. He turned to him and said, do not be afraid, only believe. Those were the only words he gave him. So he just witnessed faith in action, and he's got an opportunity now to either believe in the fear, like the report was true, his daughter died, there's nothing wrong, it's accurate. But he just saw. So what did he do? He listened to Jesus' word, he believed. And it's interesting because when Jesus went back, when he finally got there, he kicked everyone out of the room that was crying and sobbing because they're negative. They were already accepted the fate. But the father and Jesus didn't. This man, how many of us would have believed that report? But it's interesting, the timing of that. Would he have believed it if he hadn't seen this lady struggle for 12 years, get healed all of a sudden? Was that the encouragement he needed? And again, Jesus is always there to give you a word in the midst of your, when you really need it. So he chose, he chose to believe, and his daughter was risen. That's an amazing story if you think about it. He didn't give in to fear. How many of us would get that news, eh? Our hearts would drop. That's why it's important we've got to continually encourage each other, prophesy over each other. I'm not talking about, you know what I mean by prophesy. Paul talks about prophesying one another all the time. It's encouraging. Prophesying encouraging things. Not, not prophesying other things, you know. You stay away from that. There's only some people are called for that or, you know, you've got to earn your right for that. Because it's dangerous when you do that. But prophesying genuinely is encouraging people. Seeing the gift in their life. Saying, you know, it's like if I prophesied over Amy, I would say God's giving you a gift to sing and to, to share the word through your singing. You know, stuff like that. Or if you can't think of anything, just say, oh, I really like your shit. If you can't think of anything. Just be encouraging. Be encouraging. The more you do it, then the more you'll start to see the gifts in other people and then you speak those gifts out over them. Are you with me? You know, in, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, Paul actually says, fight the good fight of faith. And it's true. It is a fight of faith. When Jarvis received that bad report that his daughter had died, he could have believed it and got into fear but he'd, and given up on his miracle. But Jesus, like I said, told him, fear not, only believe. So he had a fight on his hands. He would have had to overcome his emotions. So he fought for his faith. Fight the good fight of faith. That's the only fight a Christian should be fighting. You see, in the Old Testament, fighting was physical. We see all the wars and David was involved. Remember, King David actually never lost a war. Right? Never lost a battle. Always outnumbered. But that was the physical fight. They didn't have the ability to fight it spiritually like we do. It's different now. That's why Jesus, you know, in the New Testament, did Jesus walk around with a sword and armor and take on He could have called on angels. It says that he could have called on 10,000 angels to rescue him from that cross. No, we were stepping into a new era. God's given us something bigger. 
He wants us to deal with things spiritually because everything comes out of that. All the problems in the world, you, you can guarantee it will go back spiritually of the, what state that person spiritually in. If you're in a state of spiritual fear, then it, it explains itself. If you're in a state of spiritual faith, again, it explains itself. You know, so many of us have received bad reports, you know, either from doctors or whatever, through the news and what of that. And, you know, every time that happens, we now know we have an opportunity to choose which report we're going to believe. Are you going to believe to fear not and only believe? Or are you going to believe the report? It's entirely up to you. And you know what? Sometimes we're not perfect and we do give in. God doesn't hold it against you. Don't listen to that lie. He loves you. He knows that we're learning and we've got to be perfect. We're not perfect. Just pick yourself up and move on. Talk to someone about it. You know, some of you might say, well, that's not that easy. You really don't understand. No, I'm not going to tell you that I understand because everyone's situation is different. But I do, what I can tell you is, is that I, I know that it's a fight and you do have a choice. Regardless of the situation, we always have a choice on how we're going to take it on. Always. That is the gift God has given to every single human being and it cannot be taken away. It can, you can try and take it away and there might be consequences for your decision, but you still have a choice. That's why, that's why you, know, you see the way the world's going at the moment. They don't want you to have free speech. Who cares what someone says? But now they want to censor everything. They don't want you to have free will. It's a gift that God's given to every human being on this world is free will. The ability not to be controlled. If he didn't give us free will, what would be the point of creating us? You know, Imagine if we had kids that didn't have free will. How boring. They'd just be robots. I always look at it this way. You know, When my kid turns around and says that I love you, Daddy, I didn't tell her to say that. She said it because I love my kids. It's the same way God treats us. We love our Father in Heaven because of His love. For us. He loved us first. That's how you love people, out of that. Don't let the spirit of fear control you because, worry, or because you're worrying about the outcome. If Jesus says something in his word, it is good as gold. Philippines 4, verse 6 to 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. That scripture speaks for itself. That's all we're required. Pray, thank God, and let him know our requests. He wants to hear what, you know, he does want to hear from you. But that's all we can do, and believe in it. And he says in his word, you'll have peace that surpasses all understanding, which will guard your heart and your mind. So choose to believe his report, not man's. Fear not, only believe. There is only one option, no matter what the circumstances, and that option is believing in what Jesus says. It's impossible to have the spirit of faith and the spirit of fear at the same time. They cannot coexist. It's impossible. When you have the spirit of faith, you have no spirit of fear. When you are in faith, there is no room for fear cannot happen. doesn't mean it won't try, but it just cannot happen. If you want to be rid of stress and worry in your life, then you have to rebuke the spirit of fear. You have to do it. You can get delivered from it, but there's still something you have to do. You still have to stand your ground. You can't have people do it for you. You can get delivered of things, but they come back to see, has this guy got faith in him or fear still? Which door's been opened? So many Christians lose their healings and their deliverance because, you know, they don't do anything about it. They just walk out their door and carry on with life thinking it's all good. 
and then they, then, they get, then they wonder why it's come back, and then they get depressed, and then they get angry at God. But it was like, well, no, actually, you, you lost your faith. You stopped believing. We all do it, but it's the reality of it. You know, there will be a fight in the worst of your circumstances. And I am, I'm, like I said, I'm not saying it's easy. It is a fight, and you must make up your mind. You must make up your mind that you're going to tell yourself, I am going to fight no matter what because of what God said. doesn't matter how I feel. So like I said, there comes a moment in every person's life that we must choose if they're going to be full of fear or full of faith. Your body might be telling you that you're full of fear, but your spirit can be telling you you're not. And eventually your spirit would dictate your body. How else did Paul the Apostle go through all those tribulations and trials? Shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake, and he just went like that and just brushed it off. He should have died. didn't bother him. Locked up in chains, still writing letters to Timothy in the churches, locked up in Rome, knowing that he was about to be executed. didn't faze him one bit. Like I said at the beginning, I, I said that I have dealt with fear all my life. So I'll just share a quick testimony, and I have shared this before, and I know some of you already know it, but I grew up with fear. I didn't even know I had it. I knew I was scared of a lot of things. But anyway, when I became a Christian, it, it kind of became a bit worse because the devil really started to have a go at me. And I used to have a lot of nightmares, and I think it all related to some witchcraft. If I was going to pinpoint it to something, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I remember when I was quite young, we got went on to a school trip, and if most of you don't know, I grew up in South Africa. And so we stayed at a uh, Zulu village, right out in the bush. It was like a school trip. So we stayed there for a few days. And for some reason, the teacher thought it would be kind of cool for the, the kids to go and visit in a real, a real witch doctor, not knowing any different. So I don't even know what this guy spoke over me, but all I do remember is sitting in front of him, and he started speaking these things and shook these bones in front of me. I have no idea what he had done. No idea. And so I remember one time when Brent prayed for me, and, I've, and deliverance is an ongoing thing. Eh? You can get delivered and delivered and just tell you get rid of some stuff. And I remember one time Brent actually prayed for me, and I actually saw an image of that witch doctor out of the blue. just appeared in my mind, and it was like something broke and got off. Witchcraft is, is don't dabble in it. Eh? It's very powerful, and you know what? It'll keep coming back to see where you're at. It doesn't want to let go. But it has no power over me. It'll never touch me again. And anyway, I, 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 like I said, fear became a reality to me. I remember one time I was in hospital and uh, I was having this weird dream where I was in a cemetery and I was getting taken down into a grave. And all of a sudden I woke up and I felt something jump on me. It pinned my head into the pillow. It pinned my shoulders back. And I started to really freak out because I was like, what is going on? I can't see it. I couldn't even talk and I couldn't breathe. I, couldn't, I was trying to grab the nurse call button. I couldn't even do that. And it lasted for about a minute. I don't know if you know what it's like when you can't breathe. You start to really panic. And I wasn't a strong Christian. And all I could think of was Jesus, but I could only think of it in my head. And then it went away, but I knew something had happened. Fast forward a few years later, I get prayer for deliverance for fear. And first off, I got given some scriptures, and so this was my journey of how I got delivered. It might be different. So I got given some scriptures, and so I confessed those scriptures for about two weeks, but I also confessed that when hands are laid on me, I will be healed and delivered. I built up my faith. And when I got delivered, and Pastor Robin prayed for me, I might not have felt anything leave. It's not about feelings. I still believed I was healed. I knew something had changed. A few weeks later, it came back. It woke me up in the middle of the night and it was standing next to my bed and this time I saw it. Big, long, black fingers. Tried to get on me. This time it couldn't. My spirit of faith took over. I didn't even have to try. It just, scripture came out of my mouth. I didn't even bother looking at it. I didn't even care it was there. I just started praising God. I can't explain it. And it got angrier and angrier. I could hear footsteps running around in my house. I'm the only one there. Things are happening outside. Things are moving around. 
It was really trying to freak me out. But you know what? I didn't even care. It got angrier and angrier, and it couldn't touch me. It, it literally was like a force field was around me. It went away. It just got angry and went. I woke up that morning, and I never, ever experienced the peace like that I've ever had. It was amazing. So they do come back. Keep your heart guarded. Faith. It's important. The spiritual stuff is real. Sometimes it's not talked about enough, generally, eh? And I sometimes don't like to share that testimony because it's kind of out there. And also sometimes, you know, people have heard it before, but I'm not making it up. That's what happened to me. And I'll, and I'll, I'll stand by it. I do remember the scripture that came out of my mouth instantly, and it was like I wasn't even talking. It was like my spirit man came out, and it said, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. I only needed to say it once. And then I just started praising God. It was awesome. But that's the power of God. That's the power of faith. So I'm going to finish on that scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I have stood by the scripture which I've just testified about and I still stand on it to this day. I still wake up in the morning. If I feel like I've got anxiety, I say that scripture. I'll say it all day. I'll keep saying it. I'll keep saying it to the day I pass on into heaven. I will always say the scripture. That's the ground I decided to stand on and you're not going to move me from it. Find a scripture that you want to stand on and stand on it and fight for it. You're, we are in a battle. They don't just go away and not come back. Jesus says they do come back. But you don't need to be fearful. They just, they're just coming back to see you. Oh, you, you know, can I get back in or not? So there's three God-given qualities here. God-given. This is what God has given us in the scripture. First is power. Many Christians have been able to serve God courageously in the face of enemies and their circumstances. They did not shrink back into fear. You only need to look at the persecutions of the disciples, what they went through, what other ministers around the world have gone through, what other Christians are currently going through. There are, there are some Christians that are really getting persecuted. Real getting, it's really bad. But they haven't, they haven't shrunk back into fear. They've stood their ground. So Paul... So how did they do this? Well, Paul says in uh, Philippians 4, verse 13, For all things I have strength through the one who gives me power. It's not our might, it is his might. Paul understood who gives him power and where it comes from. It's an understanding, it's knowledge. Know your Bible. Don't understand something, ask the question. Secondly, Love. God gives us a spirit of love. It's a deep love for God that helps you stand up courageously for what is right as well as love for fellow neighbors. That motivates you to put the needs of others ahead of your own. We need more of that. I was even thinking to myself last night, thinking if we think down to it, we're actually quite selfish. Because we do. We all constantly think about ourselves. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I need to get home. I need to do this. I, 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 and not actually thinking about the person in front of you. I think we need to change our thinking on that because that's what it means, putting someone else. And, there are so, and you can see there's a difference in someone who does that, eh? They have a different attitude and outlook on life. Material things don't matter. That's why that young ruler couldn't follow Jesus. He didn't want to give up his riches. He couldn't let go of it. Gratification. We just want to have pleasure all the time. We want to be happy all the time. There's nothing wrong with that, but when it overrules someone else's need, then there's something very wrong. John 13, verse 34, I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I loved you, you also love one another. That's the only commandment we've been given in the New Testament. Jesus has fulfilled the Ten Commandments for us because we couldn't live up to it. He's done that. Stop worrying about that. All of that stuff falls off you the more you get closer to God. So stop worrying about it. 
and focus on God. Just listen to that commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. Know that you are loved. I uh, struggled with that for a while because I was like, how do you love someone you don't even know? I don't even like people sometimes, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. I don't like big crowds and all that, but I've had to get over it. And the more I've known God's love, when I've really experienced God's love, man, that outlook changes. You actually care for someone else, genuinely. You want to have them. You want to help them. You want to show compassion. That's what Jesus did, eh? He had compassion for everybody. You know, it's interesting. I heard someone talk about this. When Jesus fed the 5,000, and later on the crowd came back looking for Jesus, I think his disciples said, oh, we, you know, we need to feed them more. And it was like, Jesus was like, well, no, they're only coming because they think they're going to get fed again. You know, if you keep feeding someone, so say, let's say social welfare. We think it helps people, but it doesn't. They just rely on it and they don't want to do anything. It's like, you know, instead of giving them fish, teach them how to fish. Learn, people need to learn to live on their own, look after themselves. Eh? If you're going to constantly be a welfare state, you're going to get that in return and nothing changes. You're doing them a disservice. You need to teach them how to get a job, how to work, how to fish. And that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples. You can't feed them food all the time. I'm, talk, I'm not talking spiritual food, I'm talking physically, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's interesting, I never thought of it that way. So we all tend to think having welfare is a good thing, and it is temporarily, but I think we've lost the ball on that one. Teach someone to do something with their hands, you know. Give them the skills. That's the best thing we can do for another human being, is teach them how to look after themselves and their family. Make sense? A bit quiet. All right, the last one is soundness of mind, and this is an important one. This is your mental stability. When you don't have fear in you, you have mental clarity. Soundness of mind refers to your ability to make wise Bible-based decisions. Someone with soundness of mind is able to remain sensible, reasonable, even when facing difficulties. How many times do we make irrational decisions when we're panicking? I've done it myself. I'm probably really bad at it, actually, because sometimes I overreact because I'm panicking, and then I end up making a bad decision which makes the situation even worse. So it's making decisions that reflect God's thinking, knowing that his relationship with God is more important than other opinions of others. Opinions don't matter, and there's no point arguing with someone because of their opinion. It just doesn't even matter. Who cares? 